0: This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing, interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian
1: Kaskavalsian.
0: Let me ask you, what if rather than you working for your business, your business worked for you? What if you could turn a guaranteed profit from your very next job? And what if you could not just guarantee that profitability, but make it permanent? This is Brian Kaskavalsian from G4 Marketing Group, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 6 of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. One of the reasons I started the Wealthy Contractor Podcast is because I'm sick and tired of hearing about good, hardworking contractors not making the money they should from their business for all the time they put in and the risks that they take. My guest on this episode is Mike McCallowitz, author of the must-read book, Profit First. I love this book and the amazingly simple process Mike outlines that helps entrepreneurs implement the pay-yourself-first system into their business. So they are guaranteed to make the profits they deserve. Now, if your business isn't making enough money for you and your family to live the life you deserve, Or, if you've been working harder and harder, investing in your business, and then feeling deflated when you look at your bank account, you'll want to pay close attention to the information in this episode. By the way, Mike will also be our special guest expert at Accelerate 2017 Live on February 22nd. Seats are still available, but going fast. Go to www.accelerateevent.com to learn more this is a really powerful episode so you'll definitely want to take notes so let's get right to it
2: all right mike welcome to the wealthy contractor podcast so you say thank you profit is the first thing we should consider in our business but we've all been taught that profit is the bottom line it's kind of the last thing so how can you claim such a crazy thing
1: Yeah, at first blush, Brian, I I agree. It does sound crazy because it goes against what we've been told, but what we've been told goes against how we are wired. That was kind of my big aha moment is that there there was a study conducted, I believe it was by the SBA. There were some other parties involved. They studied the 25 or 28 million small businesses in the U.S. And, And by the way, a small business is defined by a company that does $25 million in revenue or less. So, It's absolutely my business. I I, I suspect it's many people listening to this call that it's their business. And the SBA found that 83% of small businesses are surviving check by check, meaning if a deposit doesn't come in this month, I can't pay payroll next month. If I don't get some money in this week, I'm not going to be able to cover the rent or buy the supplies I need or whatever. And so there's this constant survival mode. And what what triggered in my head was how can – that means all these entrepreneurs, all these business owners, are smart enough to start a business, sell their services and products, deliver on their promises, get all the marketing, all, all the componentry. There's thousands of things we get all right, but we can't figure out the profit part. Like most businesses are surviving check by check. Most businesses have this big top line revenue, millions, and their owners taking home nothing. They're taking home scratch, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand if they're lucky, and that's when it, it hit me because I was that business too. I had a business, my biggest business was uh, on a run for $7 million before I exited from it, but I was barely taking home any money. I was surviving check by check. And what I always believed up to that point was that profit was the bottom line. That's actually the terminology we use, bottom, you know, profit comes last, it's the year end, it's the, it's the bottom line. But then I realized behaviorally, when we believe something comes last, when we call something the bottom line, we in our minds mean that, we translate that to being insignificant. So for example, back in the grade school days when they picked players for the kickball team or whatever and the captains were assigned, the captain would pick the best players first and the players they didn't want were picked last. Uh, if, if you or I went to the hospital because of a health scare uh, and the surgeon at the hospital says you need to exercise more. We're not going to come out of the hospital and say starting today I'm going to put exercise last. We'll say oh, my God my health is on the line I'm going to put exercise first. And so what that translates to is we put priority in what comes first and we put insignificance in what comes last. And so what we're saying in the old formula where profits the bottom line sales minus expenses equals profit we're basically saying profits insignificant. And so we wait till the year end doesn't happen, we're disappointed, and then we say, well, next year we'll make it happen. So it keeps getting pushed down the road 365 days at a time. What I'm suggesting is simply the pay yourself first system applied to business. This is something we, we have all heard about in our home life. Take your pay for yourself first. And what I'm saying in our business, the business's pay is profit. Every time we have a sale, starting today, immediately take 5 or 10 or 15% of that money immediately. As the deposit comes in, allocate it toward profit, hence the profit first, and then have the business run off the remainder. By taking our profit first, we are prioritizing it, but there's a secondary benefit too. When the remaining money is left over to run our business, we will have to adjust our business accordingly. We can't run our business in excessively. We can't live run our business check-to-check check anymore because we've taken our profit first. We have to start living within our means. And businesses that live in their means bring about sustainability, and they also bring about innovation. These businesses start acting more frugal, but they also find better ways to get the same results. They find ways to increase margin, uh, delivering more value to their customer and dictating a higher premium to their customer without incurring more expenses. So that's why we need to take our our profit first.
2: You know, and I I love the message because – you know, this is something I deal with almost on a daily basis with, with our clients, too. And I was, I was also that guy, too. It was all about driving the top line, driving the top line, driving the top line. But sometimes, so, so when you're so focused on driving the top line and there isn't that much left, you see that at the end of the month, shit, I didn't make that much yeah. at the end of the month. How do yeah. you then make the shift and how do you justify taking that money out every day, every week, every time a check comes in? How 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 do you do that?
1: Yeah, and the most common that's the most common response I get is like, Mike, I I haven't been profitable since I've had this business. And now you're telling me to take my profit first. It's absurd. I'm barely surviving now. You're you're insane. And my response is you have already found a way to survive check by check these businesses have been surviving months years sometimes even decades by just getting by and i'm telling you if you can survive years of just getting by you can just get by with a little bit less money because you're living within all the money that's available there is a behavioral principle and perhaps this is the most important thing i can share there's a behavioral principle called parkinson's law and parkinson's law states that economic theory where uh, as demand for something increases, that supply will come to, to meet that demand, is actually mistaken. It, it's Maybe it's appropriate for economic theory, but for human behavioral economics, it's wrong. Human behavioral economics says as our supply of something is greater, our demand or consumption of it will increase. Uh, the classic example is a, is a toilet paper roll. If you see a, roll, a brand new roll of toilet paper, you'll see that it depletes very quickly because – there's tons of toilet paper. But when there's none left, or there's only three sheets, it's, it's, a, it's miraculous what people can do with three sheets. And this doesn't just translate to toilet paper, of course. It translates to money. When we have more money, we feel this freedom that we can use it uh, to buy that that equipment that we quote-unquote need. We can use it to uh, do that advertising that we think will bring quote-unquote results. But... We don't feel the pain because that Facebook ad we ran or the other things we did didn't bring results, but we still have a little bit of money left. When there's no money, we feel the crunch. So when our business is just getting by right now, we've got to realize we're living Parkinson's law. We're expanding our consumption of money based upon what's available in that bank account. I'm saying when we take money out first, uh, the profit, and there's less money available, we're basically reverse engineering profitability. We now have to find a way to work with that remaining money to support that profit. And Parkinson's law, you know, supply dictates demand. Now there's less supply. Our demand that money will be less. We'll find ways, more frugal ways to get things done. But the the great thing is we always find innovative ways. I just want to share a quick story that really drives us home. There uh, was a great movie called Apollo 13, and... In the, it's a movie of the true story of Apollo 13, the space capsule during the space race that the United States sent uh, up to, to navigate the moon. And as they're circumnavigating the moon, the astronauts radio down to Houston and say, Houston, we we've got a problem, and this is legit, Houston. We are running out of oxygen. The filters they created that converted the carbon dioxide back to oxygen were failing. And If you've seen this movie, the pivotal scene is the lead engineer back in Houston has this big cardboard box. He calls an immediate meeting of the other engineers, and he walks in the room with this box and says to these other engineers, the astronauts up there have 10 hours of oxygen left before the filters will completely fail them, and they'll pass away. They need 48 hours of oxygen because they have to return to Earth. And he dumps that big box on the table and says, make an oxygen filter out of this. And you see the engineers just start scrambling and thinking and working through it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Business Success Consulting Group. Does the way your business currently operate prevent you from scaling and growing? Is the most valuable knowledge in your organization held by just a handful of key personnel? Are you spending valuable time training your teams instead of running your business? Business Success Consulting Group understands the challenges of organizing while you grow and they specialize in putting order into the chaos of an expanding organization. Adi and her team at BSCG work closely with you and your team to capture vital business knowledge and then they help you develop, document, optimize, and implement systems and processes across every area of your organization, from sales and operations to marketing, human resources, and business development. Adi and her team have decades of experience and will help you empower your teams to function effectively with reproducible results that will set your business up for continual success and expansion. Schedule your free consultation today by calling or texting Five zero three six six two two nine one one.
1: And they actually created an oxygen filter. And in, in real life, out of spare parts, they created an oxygen filter. Now, here's the backstory: NASA spent tens of millions of dollars to create the original, technically advanced oxygen filters, which failed. And then they used spare parts, like MacGyver, and for a few hundred dollars of parts, they made oxygen filters that worked. And got the, ox- the astronauts back. Now I'm not saying that if they originally made oxygen filters out of you know gum and tubes and wire that that would have been a prudent thing for that capsule. But what I'm saying is they could have made a different device, clearly for a lot less money, that would have been more effective. But because NASA was had the means, they took the taxpayer money, your money, my money, they took our money to pay for that oxygen filter their demand on that money expanded. They said, we've got tens of millions to build an oxygen filter. Let's see if we can figure it out. And Of course they did. But when they were given $200 of spare parts, in no time, they found a solution. So In our business, when we take our profit first, you, we are living check by check because we're expanding. And, and It's a subconscious response. We don't see it. We just naturally say, well, this is the money I have to run my business. And like the NASA engineers, the smartest people in the world, we just expand to consume what's available. When we intentionally compress how much money is available, that will force that MacGyver side of us to come out saying, how do I get this done? The most innovative businesses inevitably are the garage stories. Apple, Hewlett-Packard, IBM, You know, just talking about computer companies, but Procter Gamble, uh, Microsoft, all these businesses started off Facebook out of dorm rooms and and garages, when they didn't have the money, which forced innovation, which, which forces or, or enables you to crush the competition because you approach it in a whole new way and it puts you light years in front of them. So you want to intentionally take your profit first and you want to feel that squeeze because you'll very quickly have to find a better way to get the same or better results.
2: Is, from your experience, is part of the better way looking at how you charge for your products and for your services. Because one thing that I will say is, again, a dealing with uh, our group, which is contractors and, and, and mainly replacement contractors, pricing is really a big issue. A lot of times they're just not pricing right. So is that yeah. one of the ways that you would become innovative?
1: Yes, it's it's a massive way, and and you also reverse engineer that. So, you know, cutting costs is the obvious thing, but it can only go so far. When you start taking your profit first, people say, well, I'll keep cutting costs until I'm, I, I'm achieving these profit levels, but most businesses, I find, can cut costs by 10% easily. But you start cutting more than that, you start cutting your nose off spite your face, you start losing that knowledge you're gaining uh, by being, you know, a participant in some organization, for example, or you start, uh, losing equipment that you need to, to do the work you do. I mean, you can go back to equipment from the 70s, uh, which is really cheap, but you'll be working at the 70s performance level. So you can cut some fat, but you don't want to cut the muscle. By increasing prices, you will start reversing engineering your value offering. And so we actually have an exercise here when we work with, uh, with folks, and we tell them, what is your pricing now? For a certain offering, and they share their pricing. We'll say, okay, now let's double it, and you'll hear them kind of swallow hard and say, "Uh, I got to double my price. Yes, double it, and then they double the price, and then we say, now how do you justify doubling it? And what's interesting is, even just by doubling at one time, it's you can't do more, but you have to start distinguishing your value. Uh, Maybe you're certified in something. Maybe your warranty is no longer a five-year warranty; it becomes a ten or twenty-year warranty. you know, maybe you start analyzing what your clients need. Um, we actually worked with a contractor who did uh, interior like redesigns. They specialized in kitchens and stuff like that. And we told them to double their price, and you know, they they do that heart swallow. I could never do that. And then we started investigating. We started asking about the clients, and we found in their case that the main consumer was uh, it was usually a, a couple, husband wife. Uh, The wife was typically the person that was making the purchase decision and was the person who was present when the contractors came. So we said, well, what what are their biggest concerns? And quality work was up there, but right next to it was their safety, their personal safety. Because now you've got these big, burly men coming in with a a woman at home, maybe with her young children. Um, There's a sense of threat there. And when we realized this, we said, you know, what if our value wasn't the – that we just do these home contracting services what if we told these consumers that what we're going to do is we will when we come we want to ensure your safety to a degree you've never experienced so our team when they show up prior to arriving you're going to get pictures of the contractors that will be working at your house and who they look like in their background second you're going to get a um, uh, we're going to install video cameras in the kitchen where they're working so at any time Anyone in your family can look on their phone and see these guys working. And the biggest thing was we said, we're going to bring a port on john with us. Our guys are not going to be wandering around your house finding the bathroom. If they need to use the restroom, they're going to step out of the house, and uh, they'll be using the restroom. And by implementing these subtle but insignificant changes for what the consumer wanted, they were more than willing to pay double the price because they knew safety is no longer a concern. So... Absolutely, the opportunity is increasing your prices. But you don't just increase your prices and do the same thing. You have to justify the value, and it starts with the internal conversation. What distinguishes you from the rest of the competition, or what can you do that will distinguish you from the rest of the competition? And there's, there's big profits to be had there.
2: Yeah, I love that exercise. I love that exercise. Yeah, That's great.
1: And sometimes we'll double, we'll do, call it the double-double. We'll double yeah. up and then if they're not swallowing hard enough we say okay double again and now these prices say they're bidding out a project that you know six grand we go six 12 24 grand 24 grand these guys are like shaking in their boots like i could never charge 24 grand for this and then we give them all the arguments until they finally say you know what i i can charge 24 grand if i do this and this and this and then we say okay do all those things but we're only going to charge 12 grand right. so the customer is getting extraordinary perceived value and they are and the price is extraordinary reasonable for what they're doing But the contractor is getting massive margins. Then it becomes a win around for everybody.
2: Yeah, I love it. So, how does this? How does this idea look? um, How do you practically pull this off? You know what I'm asking. Like, how do I actually like move the money? How do I move it? Where do I put it? Because I'm going to want it. Because if I move. So look, if I move some percentage of my money and I know that it's there and payroll's coming up, I could just go steal it from myself and from my family and I can use it to to pay. You can,
1: and that's how the system unwinds so quickly. So there's ways to prevent that. I'll give you the 30-second overview because I know we're doing a conference together and I'll detail out all of this stuff. The 30 second overview is this is in part the envelope system. Some something someone in your family tree surely did this. My mother did this, and when the idea was as money came in, you divided up to other different intentions from the get go. So she'd have money coming in. She put a little bit of money into the food account, a little bit of money into the mortgage, a little money into give back to the community, and so forth. So in our businesses, we set up accounts for different purposes. A couple of the teaser accounts, profits. One we talked about paying the owners. I'd argue the most important employee is the owner in a biz- of a business, uh, You know, and equipment, maybe another account, and we pre-divide money up. This, the second component is once the money is divided up, is we have to pretend, prevent ourselves from stealing from ourselves. So there's a way to remove temptation by using a, uh, a, a technique to hide the bank accounts. So the idea is when well, it's out of sight and out of mind. And perhaps the biggest part is we're no longer going to rely on the accounting system. In fact... Most of the entrepreneurs I meet with, even with businesses that are like $10, $15 million, most of the entrepreneurs I meet with don't rely on their accounting system. They rely on the bank balances. They log into their bank account and see yeah. how much money is around. Well, this system we're going to use works with that exact process. If you naturally look at your bank account online, this, this will work for you because we're going, to stay, we're going to keep doing that. You don't have to understand the sophisticated accounting anymore. We're just going to look at different envelopes occasionally and then act accordingly. So that's how we do it.
2: Nice. So so let's let's um I'm going to give everybody a couple of resources. So one is you got to go get this book. So just go to Amazon Profit First Mike's last name you can get the spelling we'll have a link in the show notes but it's McCallowitz. I said that did I say that right?
1: You nailed it. <laughs> you nailed
2: it. Okay. You nailed it. Um, you'll know the book because it has a little cute pink piggy bank on the cover, but you have to, this is one of those must read books. I'm telling you, I met Mike, I said it in the intro, I met Mike a few months ago at an event, I devoured the book. I just love the simple principle. Um, the other thing that I will say, and part of the reason why I love this so much is that we as business owners, sometimes we get so busy and we get so like lost inside of our businesses that we forget the real reasons why we're there. and one of those reasons is to earn money and earning money provides us with freedom, freedom to spend time with our families, freedom to you know live a better life, freedom to have you know better relationships with people. and so um, we can't forget about profit. And so that's, I think that this is such an important topic. Um, Mike will be joining us at the um, Accelerate event in February. Um, we'll also give um, uh, resources, a uh, link to the event down below. Um, but, Mike, I, I thank you for your This is a great introduction to Profit First. There's a ton oh, more in the book um and on the website so i strongly encourage everybody to uh immediately go and uh get this book and uh mike's message is a great one i i can't uh emphasize that enough so any uh any parting ideas here mike yeah i'll,
1: I'll give the one kind of final action step is uh you know I, at the event, we're going to lay, lay out the entire system, and we, we started digging into parts of it today. Boy, I found, Brian, is so many people get overwhelmed. They they want to do everything, but it's like saying, okay, I'm going to start running a marathon. I'm going to run 26 miles today, and it gives you a heart attack. Or you just say, no way can I pull this off, and we resort resort back to the way we used to do things. So instead, as a departing thought, I encourage you today, like literally you listen to the podcast, Call your bank and just set up one new account. That's it. One account. It's a checking account. And we're going to nickname it profit. And then starting today also, every deposit that comes in, just put 1% into that bank account. And what I'm doing here is instead of raising the bar and, like, we've got to turn up the heat here, I'm actually lowering the bar. It's such a simple, easy step. If you start allocating 1% to your profit account, I, I acknowledge you're not going to get rich overnight. You're not going to have financial freedom overnight. But you're going to start having the understanding of how you can pre-allocate profit in at least a small way, and you'll build confidence in yourself. And then two, three months from now, we'll change that 1% to 2, and 2 maybe becomes 4, and 4 becomes 12 or 13. Over time, and it happens pretty quickly, you'll see that by taking your profit first, you can drive a huge amount of profit in your business. There's huge profit opportunities there. And uh, you just got to start today by starting real slow.
2: I love it. Great. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll see you uh, soon at the Accelerate event. Everybody look for the show notes for all of the information. This is Brian Kaskovalsian. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. And um, if you enjoyed this episode, go to iTunes um, and uh, leave us a great review. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.